Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. Protonic reversal with your host, Kevin Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rocking about music, rock and roll, and cover power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree to shop and nail it. Confidence of a hero or a fool. I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. That's like a science thing, right? Indeed, indeed, indeed. It is a science thing. It is a science place. It is a scientific fact that we are all up in your face. It is time for the one, the only, Protonic Reversal. And welcome to it. Today we have two very special guests, uh, both of which have appeared on the show before, but this is this is a joint appearance. I feel like this is this is something that's been kind of a long time coming. I don't know why I didn't think of this before. But we have uh, Rick and Rose from uh, Poster Children, Radio Zero, Salaryman, and so many others. Rick, Rose, welcome back to the show. Thank Hello. you. Thanks Collectively. for <laughs> Yeah. Rose, I think you've only been on the one time, uh, but Rick... That was enough. <laughs> no, there's never, there's never enough Rose Marshall. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, how much can you say about bass playing? Exactly. <laughs> it's just E, 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 right? Remember that Kids in the Hall sketch? <laughs> You, you follow the the guitar player, right? right. Basically, play the written note of the guitar chord. Thinking, what song were we listening to? And I was like, I've ripped off every bass part from that song. What song was it? It wasn't um, a tar song. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts oh, Club Band. God, asshole! Can I swear? <laughs> well, yeah, I think that either way, that ship has sailed at this point. But yes, you can. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for coming back to the show. It's always it's always a pleasure to to have you on. What I mentioned earlier when we were setting this up was that it's your your guess that it's very easy to to speak to you about almost any topic, and what you get out of it is very interesting and unique and cool. Uh, so because of that, what I had realized is that I'd kind of given short shrift to the actual music and talking about the records, and that that's a wasted opportunity, frankly, because uh. The reason why I, I know you guys at all is because of the music. Specifically, a friend of mine from work gave me a Tool of the Man record uh, right after that, that came out. As a he, he he lent it to me because I had I was wearing a Six Finger Satellite T-shirt. Oh, and he's yeah. like, "Oh, Six Finger Satellite, yeah, I think they're like friends with Poster Children." I'm like, "Who?" And uh, he he lent me that CD, not even a record. It was a CD. Like, I need to be appropriate to the times. And thus led my long-term love affair with your your band music and creative output. So that's right. that's that's a story about me and a T-shirt that I had, and I think it's a good one. But take it back, uh, take take it back, all the way. The first record that oh, and, I, and just while we're doing, let me do an acknowledgement real quick that without Radio Zero. Uh, there would probably be no protonic reversal. So thank you again for that. I don't think you guys get enough acknowledgement for being basically the first podcast. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thanks. So, 
yeah, I'm, I'm just going to keep saying things to you and your response is going to be one word. So uh-huh. yeah, this is going to uh-huh. be great. You, uh-huh. you just compliment us uh-huh. for an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> been uh, listening. To, do you listen to Adam Buxton's pod- podcast? Um, no. There's a thing where he does, he does an ad, but he says he has some, you know, he does another character who does the announcement of the ad. And he says, as the, the kind of male character he says, and I'm just going to make strange noises in the background. So the one person does something and the, and then he goes, hmm, uh, mm. it's just, it's reminding me of what we're doing right now. Yeah, we just yeah. make noises. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's great. I get to have guests on, they talk over them and uh, don't let them speak. It's wonderful. Talk about Six Finger Satellite and that time we went to see the, the, uh, the shuttle launch with them, or we could talk about, uh, um, what was the thing you, you, you like, he wants to talk about yeah. the music though. I, I yeah. do want to talk about the music, but it, let's, let's be clear. One of the things that is very enjoyable about what you guys do is that there are lots of digressions and that digressions are generally interesting and maybe more interesting when you know the players involved. Uh, but the dig- digressions are part of the show and part of the character of the show. And that's something that I, always have kind of taken to heart, especially when people who have ideas about what a podcast should or should not be like the rules of podcasting, if you will. And, oh, and when you said show, you meant the podcast, not just the kind of general Rick and Rose show. The, Rick and Rose show. the general Rick and Rose. theme of our yeah, lives. It's our, it's our anniversary today. Yeah. Is it really happy anniversary? Yep. That's wonderful. Uh, so talk to me about the first record. Talk to me about, well, I guess I, l- we could talk a little bit about the demo if you want, but uh, specifically I was going to just dive into it. demo? Oh, to, to Tori Tori Squad. Yeah. It was not a demo. It was a cassette release. There was a cassette label in Champaign um, run by uh, Jim Sluzerick, now known as Jim McGuinn. And, uh, Trash Chris, can record. Sorry. Tra- Chris Corpora. And yeah. so they were two guys. Um, uh, Jim worked at the college radio station at the time and is still in radio he's i think he's the what, programming director for the current yeah and uh um and chris uh was 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 booking shows in town so he was the one who brought a large number of these really cool bands in the early days and so they they started a record label which at the time because you couldn't afford to make records yeah, it's, right. it was just as expensive as it is now so people yeah but wildly different environment, but yeah. somehow the same result. So yeah, we released a cassette, and they released I don't know five or ten cassettes, a, comp- a couple of great compilations of the champagne music scene at the time, and so um, that was that was the initial release. Yeah, and it's it's got a lot of the songs that are on Flower Plower. Our first record. Yeah, but the 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 versions on Torridor Squat were recorded in the attic of the house I was living in. Right, and that's uh, what eighty nine. Uh, does that that seem seem about right? Feels like eighty eight is more correct. Okay, <laughs> but eight, but uh, flower plower was definitely definitely eighty nine, and there was there were some songs. So flower flower plower is weird because we recorded then we after we did that cassette, then we we recorded a full album with Ian Burgess with our first drummer, Shannon. So we recorded fifteen songs at Chicago Recording Company with Ian Burgess one weekend. How did we pay for that? You paid for it. Oh, Rose paid okay. for it. So Rose had gotten a job. Computer programming money, mm, right? Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. okay. So it was before I had I worked there, I think, and you had money, or you had money for some reason. I can't remember why. I think it was my job. Yeah, I think you had yeah. gotten a job. 
and weren't at college what anymore. What year was it? That, so eight, I think the summer of 88, we recorded 15 songs with Ian Burgess with Shannon. And then the problem, again, is that that making the record. So we, we recorded it, but we didn't have enough money to put it out. And then uh, Mike Potential, who was a guy who went, how did... It was he, he? He was at a show, right? Yeah, he we, saw we, us. I'm trying to remember what he was doing. This is terrible. I, th- I think he worked at a record store, but he was doing other stuff. But he he's, he was starting a label, and he really liked us. But um, by the time he saw us, we already had a new drummer, which was Brendan, and we had a few new songs. Right. And so it was like, well, we have we have this 15 song record done, and he's like, yeah, I like it, but I like these new songs too, and I like the new drummer. And so we went to Albini's house, and he was cheaper than ian at the time because well to to work at steve's house was cheap and so we had enough money i i have the receipt somewhere it was like 250 dollars or something we recorded five songs with steve in his basement yeah and then steve in this case would be steve albini of course steve albini and then we put put four of the songs that we recorded with Steve with four of the songs that we recorded with Ian so, and put them together as a, it wasn't an EP either. Mike was very specific about that. You've got to stop calling it an EP. It was a mini LP. So there was a distinction. So an EP was six songs or less. A mini LP was eight songs. So we had a mini LP. Flower Power initially came out on vinyl as mini LP. Now, that's interesting because the definition of that, I've heard multiple definitions. I've heard the 32-minute mark uh, being used as a definitional thing, that if it's if it's under 32 minutes, it's an EP, which seems aggressive to me. But And also, to, you know, if you're Godspeed, you Black Emperor, it's one song. If you're the Minutemen, it's right. like 30. So, you know, yeah. a little yeah. productive. But, uh, so yeah. it, it's considered a mini LP then. But yeah, then like also, the early SST releases that were EPs, right? You'd have a Minutemen EP on a seven-inch record because they could fit six songs onto one seven inch i know i promised to keep you guys on track but i'm just gonna say in a dj night that I, I used to do i used to play uh moby dick by led zeppelin which has like the long drum break right and i would play a minute many ep during the drum break which i because i to me that was funny that was hilarious it wasn't because i really wanted yeah. to play moby dick i was just like oh check out me being a dick here this is great right right do you remember why we recorded with ian burgess and steve albini and how we even found them it, there was no internet at that time so the digits so the digits had recorded fizz job with ian from our town the digits. no they recorded hey juicer with ian too right yeah. and then they recorded that's right and then they recorded i love the single the one dead hippie single and i'm sure i like it it sounds like steve recorded it when he was still setting up the studio it sounds like a train wreck but it's the most amazing <laughs> it it does not sound like a characteristic kind of clean loud albini production it sounds like I've set this eight-track recording studio up in my house, and let's try to record the Digits single. And and mm-hmm. so, yeah, so so the Digits in who had, by then had moved to Champaign, or at least Rick had. Yeah, no, I, I think most of them were living in Champaign. Had moved from Mattoon, and so they had had they had recorded with Ian. So uh, we were able to get into contact with Ian because of the Digits. And then the same thing with Steve. It was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, no, yeah, this is here's Steve's number. He'll record you. <laughs> Yeah, and it was just uh, well, you got the number and you just rang him up and be like, "Hey, you know, we're we're this band and we would like to record this record like that." That was yep. Okay. 
probably not. I mean, you could still probably do that today, I'm sure. And, you know, oh, yeah. maybe the yeah. mechanisms yeah. have changed a little bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I like, you know, you think about life before the Internet sometimes it's really, you know, wow, how did we yeah, find that? We may have written him a letter. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, I feel no, like I think we I, called. We had, yeah. we had like a sheet of paper from Rick Digit with the phone number. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's how you did everything. Mm-hmm. I have a few amazing things. Chris Corper, who booked us and then, you know, kind of coordinated it all. It was basically kind of our manager and booking agent at the very beginning. He, uh, I, I still have stuff where it's just all paper based, like calendars and Did you all ever, that. You'd like have like the, the, the day planner with the, like the tour information and the, <laughs> and the contacts and things along those lines? Kind of. We always had our, our booking agents would, would send us large portfolio. <laughs> we we always had a clipboard. Yeah, you, yeah. You the, had the, clipboard the clipboard was our. Uh, where's the clipboard? I, it's it's in yeah. the attic somewhere. No, no, I no. I, I remember saying, but, where's, yeah, where's the, the clipboard? clipboard? Yeah. yeah, it's still around though. The thirty year old clipboard. Well, okay. So before we go too much further forward, I, I do want to talk about the early days of Poster Children because you guys had a very uh, defined and specific sound that. It was aggressive, but it was poppy. Uh, you know, it was certainly coming from a more like academic place, maybe than than other bands. But it wasn't something where it was necessarily full on. Oh, we play art rock either. And because of that, did you feel when Poster Children were starting up that there were a lot of like minded bands uh, around? Because you had a pretty pretty active scene at that moment in time. Uh, champagne and whatnot, right? But it, did you feel like there were a lot of fellow travelers uh, for Poster Children when you first started up? I, I, I felt like we fit in with the kind of Midwest scene. I mean, if you think of yeah. 13 Nightmares and then... Um, House of Large Sizes. House of Large Sizes. Um, there were certain bands regionally that felt similar. Full Fathom 5 in Iowa City. I mean, we played early shows with them and I really liked them. I think we found out about them because of my brother was in Ames, Iowa for a while. So he knew a lot of local Iowa music too. And then Chicago music. So it was, I think that's, that's where we kind of fit in. Um, I'm trying to think of what else weird it, material issue in a weird way, maybe more of a, um, how to, how to do it way. So, cause Jim Ellison was so plugged in, right. <laughs> was a salesman too, you know, like we, <laughs> we talk about this, we have two copies Sure. Of their first EP, right? <laughs> Even though we were, I think we were already living together. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. he could Come sell. Come on, you need enough. <laughs> he sold you two copies. I think I think yeah. we have a vinyl yeah. and a yeah. cassette one. It's like, yeah. how are you going to listen to it in the car? You know, and it's like, like, like that's a good point. I didn't Come on, think about but that. then also booking batteries not included. So this thing you'd see him and talk to him in Champagne. Right. When he played a show and then you'd you'd see him he'd book you at batteries not included and you'd see him there. And and so it's it's starting those those kind of things. To me it was more being part of the community. It wasn't as much about um a sound as a philosophy. Because that was also the thing is I think a lot of us were in uh, like sort of influenced by the SST and homestead scenes or bands or whatever. And those were pretty varied still those those artists there, there wasn't like a uniform sound necessarily yeah. or anything along those lines it, it kind of just seemed like the correlating factor was like oh all these bands are pretty interesting yeah i mean if you think about who's do the minutemen and the meat puppets 
you would never like now if you ran a label well, that now it doesn't make any sense <laughs> like maybe but you know what i mean you it's could, like you could, you could get a bunch of money throw it in the backyard put it in a pile and set it on fire and you'd probably have yeah. just as much of a profitable endeavor but but, yeah. but that idea of having a sound right and it wasn't that it was more about the philosophy and everybody was it was the punk diy was the exploding, diy yeah was right. was it had it sort of solidified you know and been codified Right. And then all of a sudden it was unraveling again. And so I think that was what was important was this, that, oh, we're all sort of in this together and we're part of this underground scene, but the rules have changed. And, you know, I don't, and the replacements, it's, it seems maybe passe, but at the time, you know, you think about um, Let It Be, that record is all over the place. And all, all the early replacements <laughs> records are all over the place, like even within a record. Right. And so that was the thing is it wasn't as much sound alignment as philosophical alignment and scene alignment and just the fact that oh these are the 20 people that are going to show up at your show in this town are the people who are in these bands right so there's a rich community there's a bunch of uh, people that are also kind of following their own uh, their own star charts (laughs) through the uh, through the seas and by the same token, even though there isn't anyone that necessarily is a sound alike for what Poster Children was doing at the time, there's a lot of bands that you felt a kinship with and you felt community with. Would you say yeah. that's accurate? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So then picking back up, uh, first record, or I guess mini LP. I mean, you did do a CD reissue of that that has a... Yeah, that's the thing is once once the <laughs> CD happened, so Mike sold the record to uh, Frontier... And then by then the CD had happened, CD or it had happened and in, in 1989 when it, the, when flower flower actually came out there, there was, I don't even think maybe there were CDs, but nobody, it was not bought. the thing. It was, it was not the primary thing in any way, shape or form. It was, so by, t- was by the ditch. time, <laughs> yeah, Frontier reissued it. It was like, Oh, we need a CD. We need to put it on cassette and CD and it needs to have more than eight tracks. And so it was like, well, we've got the, we got seven more. So, and that was right at the dawn of the wait. You can fit how much music on these? Which which led to a very unfortunate trend of of just ah, oh, this is this record's great. When's it going to be over? I have things to do. <laughs> yeah, and it also skews Flower Plower on CD. It's it's not two years kind of evenly on what side A and side B. It's it becomes really heavily weighted to the the early stuff with Shannon, which is not bad, but it's, it, it definitely um, was originally was not like that. It was, it was this kind of like two sides of poster children, two drummers, one on each side. Yeah. Uh, you remember, Oh, sorry. No, Rose, please. But I, I was actually encourage you to speak. So, <laughs> Oh, Steve Albini called up a couple of years after flower plower came out and said, just the, hello. Hi, Steve. What's up? I just noticed the second L. <laughs> It was like a couple of years. Like, so we thought it was flower power for uh Yeah. For yeah. Mm. <laughs> I remember well, how much that used to upset me, but it's he probably thought it was, you know, antagonistic to hippies anyway. He probably didn't think we were, you know, we were hippies cuz it was all black and white. No, he th- he he made comments that were approving. I mean, that was that was one of the things as he said. I I like you guys. You don't have any love songs. And so <laughs> right. that was the genesis of our song Love was actually a direct response to that, where it was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to be contrarian now. Yeah, I go. Ah, so you think Steve Albini, I'll show you. <laughs> yeah, but in a, a very positive. Of course, yeah. 
kind of a negative a song. A loving way. Yeah. I think that song's negative, right? It's kind of negative. Yeah. I'm in heaven. I'm in hell. What's the difference? I can't tell. Happy anniversary, asshole. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> you didn't, when you agreed to do this, you didn't tell me it was going to be your anniversary. I would have picked another day. but we, I didn't know until this morning. I knew. I thought it would be fun. Well, it, it is... I, I suppose somewhat fitting that for uh, two very creative folks that have been uh, locked in together creatively as well as in, in other ways to, to be doing something along those lines is uh, kind of poetic, I suppose. The anniversary of, of our, one of, of Grand Bargain, too. So. That's true. We put out yeah. Grand Bargain on our anniversary. Which normally I play a song beforehand uh, and I would have played the title track uh, off of Grand Bargain, which I, which I like quite a bit, but there's something kind of weird about having people looking at you, like waiting, that like, makes me be like, I want to like, respect and value your time, and also apparently blow out your eardrums, which was, uh, <laughs> apologies for that. Uh, so we'll, we'll play some songs uh, later on in the show, but uh, yeah, great, great album, and we'll get to that later, but right now we're finishing up with Flower Plower and getting into Daisy Chain Reaction. So, talk to me about the change up there. You did Daisy Chain Reaction at Chicago Recording Company, right? That was uh, also with Steve? It was, it was more complicated than that. We actually, we did demos at Steve's house in the spring with the idea we needed to do demos and then we were trying to get, uh, we were going to record it at uh, Smart. Oh, with yeah. With Butch Vig, and we sent Butch Vig the demos, and he said, "Why? Just, yeah. Why are you record? Why do you want to record this again? Again, it's they sound pretty good. <laughs> why? Why do you want me to do this? Right? And why did we which, want him to do it? Which is a polite way of saying I don't want to. I don't yeah. want to record you. I think maybe I'll. <laughs> why did we want to record with Butch Vig anyway? So again, so this is this is the Mike Potential thing. So Mike Potential was a super huge Decreutzen fan. We had heard the Killdozer stuff. And so the, yeah. the, Mike Potential is an unsung hero. Well, maybe. But he also you know, put out Smashing Pumpkins' first single. And he was in Chicago constantly, you know, early days talking to them. And so I, I, it's, I mean, anytime around that time, uh, talking to Mike Potential, he would say, oh, you should, oh, everybody's got to record with Butch Vig. Listen to this record. This sounds great. And all this kind of stuff. Right. And so uh, he's responsible for the the pumpkins thing. I would say for them being aware of. I'm just going to say it. Yeah, I'm sure that's yeah. that's why we're aware of um, Butch Vig and Smart Studios. And so um, that yeah, that, that was part of it. <laughs> and then I know I somehow Steve got wind of that. And so when we were recording Daisy Chain Reaction at Chicago Recording Company again, so the same place we had recorded with Ian, um, he he was. His comment about Butch was like, there's a lot of reverb on that. And so Steve was a little more, uh, he getting, I, I, if it, it seemed like he was, not that he doesn't have reverb on his recording, but he wasn't putting artificial reverb on the right. recordings. I think he opened up when he was recording us at Chicago Recording Company. His, his approach was to say, well, they like something about what Butch is doing. I'm going to put a little more reverb or, you know, room sound in there. Again, yeah, not artificial, not not right. full on Bauhaus necessarily, but uh, you know, getting and if, <laughs> getting the character if, of the room. 
if you've been in both studios like I have, the original Smart Studios at the Chicago Recording Company, <laughs> I know most people have been to both places. You should be pushing your glasses up on your nose while you professional. <laughs> um. Well, no, yeah. The difference is, is that yes, yeah, the the original Smart was like we're kind of recording like the size of the live room was bigger than Steve's house, but com- comparatively speaking. For a professional studio, Smart Studios did not have a large live room, right. and it wasn't live-sounding. Chicago Recording Company, you were recording on the weekends, and it was a high-end studio during the week where they were doing commercial gigs and everything like that, and it's a huge Bigger open bands and things like that. space. Beautiful space, yeah. Well, and I also want to make one clarification that at the time of this rec- this record, uh, time of, we're talking about with Butch Vig and, and Smart, uh, he's more known for... You know, doing Killdozer too, and like, yeah, oh yeah, and uh, Dekreutzin and things like that. It wasn't wasn't the guy from Garbage yet. You know, it, nope. was, it was it was years before. I mean, that would have been Gish, I would guess. Be, right? uh, yeah, when we get to Daisy Chain or when we get to Junior Citizen, we can talk about Garbage. Sure. Uh, so Daisy Chain reaction. Uh, that's Twin Tone. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> And uh, it was reissued on on site, right? Later. Okay. Yeah. So Twin Tone, um, the whole, if you know the history of um, music distribution, as I'm sure you all know, the history of music distribution, I'm talking like a... But believe me, if they're listening to this show, they probably have a pretty good idea. What I but, what, what I realized I need to do though was like make prefacing statements like I just made that was basically like, yeah, Butch Vig didn't always used to be in garbage and didn't yeah, used no, to that's be good for the Foo Fighters and so yeah, yeah, he was he was yeah. he was building a, a a regional reputation because of the Killdozer stuff, right? It was was really what, and then for people who like Decroitson too, right? It was it was that those records that was what he was known for. Um, so he was the he was the other Midwest guy doing weird punk rock post-punk bands um what was i gonna say before i was rudely interrupted um twin tone daisy chain reaction our yeah. booking agent had had was working out of the twin tone offices she wasn't directly affiliated they just she just rented a a, a room and a phone right mm-hmm. and so we were she was based in uh minneapolis at the time and so we were traveling up there a lot, and they we kept coming up there and playing yeah. for fifty dollars. I remember and getting home playing in with, time, yeah. like drive home, drive home get, the same night. <laughs> yeah, 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 and get home and like get home in time to take a shower and go to work. Right, remember that the Sunday nights yeah, in Minneapolis. Those, yeah, Minneapolis. We'd drive home. We'd take a shower, or sometimes we wouldn't even go. We wouldn't even take a shower. We'd just go straight to work. Start programming computers, which um, which is something you can kind of get away with when you're when you're when you're a programmer. programming computers. Like, oh, yeah, they're they're yeah. Right, yeah. quirky, well, almost. <laughs> right. Yeah. So so yeah. So we we signed a three record contract with Twintone because Twintone was like a great midwestern label yeah like we were, who, yeah. who was on it that made us well think, the oh, replacements had just left but soul asylum was on there babes in toyland were on there ween you know around the same time was on twin tone we i think we both signed to twin tone around the same time um but then yeah so we it, it, twin tone paid for their record and then rough trade their distribution company blew up and i mean in the old terminology of blew up it 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 imploded. fell apart imploded. imploded rumor had it was because of the the butthole surfers contract 
they had signed Butthole Surfers. I can't remember what record it was, but it, it some hundred thousand. But it was also the parent company. There's, there's. Yeah. This is indie rock history. People yeah. talk about the Rough Trade collapse. Yeah, that's a pretty big. Yeah, we don't need to to eat up too much time of wanting to talk poster children getting into that if you're if you're if you're interested in that there's a whole i mean there's books that have been written about stuff like this right so yeah you can well what do you, you want to know about tfm what yeah. do you want to know about da- <laughs> so so the thing is about daisy chain reaction is we recorded demos with steve yeah and then um in the summer we recorded the f- a full-length record and then we That's listened with bob back. right bob's on bob's on drums bob was on drums yes and jeff on guitar so that's still jeff jeff had joined we had a drummer in between their mic who we wrote some songs with, but he's, he's not on any of our records. Um, and then uh, what happened? Oh, yeah, we listened back. And so some of the stuff we did with Steve in his house sounded better. Like If You CK, the version of If You CK on that record is is the house doing is done at Steve's house. So that's what's interesting is uh, it's in the liner notes, but um, I can never figure it out. Um, but there are some versions that were done in the big studio, but some, some songs that we did at Steve's house as demos wound up being on the record itself. Cause they sounded better, which is a, a, a tribute to Steve, you know? Yeah. And that's, you know, his, his, he's obviously got a very uncanny ability for being able to capture an excellent live band being an excellent live band, which is, uh, yeah. Is, Even in a nice. tiny, yeah, yeah, no, tiny, no matter the room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so then you've got, and and this record, uh, you you've got. There's a video for if you CK, which ended up doing some stuff. It was something where, by the way, it took me like three years before I finally was like, oh, if you CK. Yeah, I'm usually pretty good with the wordplay, but on, on that one, I was definitely uh, behind the behind the curve there. And what I should say is about, so the reason why I brought up the rough trade thing is, is that we recorded Daisy Chain Reaction in 1990 and it sat idle for a year. It did not come out for a year. And so we got the record in the can. It was supposed to come out in fall of 1990 and didn't come out until fall of 91. And so we were in limbo, in stasis. um, And so... Part of it is timeline stuff, right? So it's like Nirvana's Nevermind came out, <laughs> you know, in the fall of 91. But it's like we had had this record in the can for a year, and then uh, Twin Tone finally got enough money together after the implosion of Rough Trade to get it get it out and released. Yeah, and, and Poster Children were not not alone in, those, in that regard. There, there were other bands that were in similar situations, for sure. Uh, it's the story. I mean, it's it's the story of indie rock, right? It's the balance of like, oh, yeah. like if the record starts doing well, and it's like, oh, we can't press anymore because we don't have any money yet from the distributor, and and so it was a common story from yeah, almost everyone. It was like keep, uh, getting your record out and then keeping it in stock if people wanted to buy it, you know, which is a good problem to have in some ways, but it's also a bad problem to have when. <laughs> When it's kind of like, oh, nobody can buy the record, and people are telling them it's a great record. Yeah. So, uh, and and there's a lot of places to go with that. Uh, real quick, Rose, when did you start keeping the tour journals? Was that was that was that a little bit later, or at least publicly put put them up? Anyway, it's it's funny. Well, 1995, because that's I think right. That's when Prairie Net. Well, that's when you did it online, but that's you were when, you were yeah, doing I it have, earlier. I have tour journals from 1993. I have tour journals from the Screaming Trees tour. 
funny you I mentioned have, that. Yeah. Yeah, it is funny that I mentioned that. I have like I have all this writing about because I remember too, like over the over the past however many years, I was thinking you know, I could have sworn I wrote about, you know, what what year was this tour? Because I could have sworn I wrote about it. I remember writing about th- this stuff. I remember reading my writing about it. And then, yeah, I just found a 1993 onward tour um, reports. So, but they, they went online in 1995. And f- for my recollection, there wasn't really a lot of people doing that at the time. Uh, it was pretty much you and Mike Watt. And I don't even remember that was, you know, that I'd have to reconcile the timelines to even say, like, you know, when I, when I first remember that being. But I remember it was very interesting that from perspective of somebody who was uh, not at that point really in, in doing any music of note, let alone touring, like the idea that I could get a window into this world uh, of this band that actually was doing it, this band I like that was, was you know, the uh, the, the listener by proxy because I felt like you always had a very uh, a very relaxed tone with how you described it, and you described it with great enthusiasm. It was something that was very formative for me and, and quite a few other people just to be able to like read those experiences. And again, for the younger listeners, this is before everybody had like a Facebook and an Instagram and you know Instagram TV and Snapchat and TikTok and all this. Uh, it was, it was a beginning, different world, yeah. <laughs> beginning years of HTML, so you couldn't, you at your house, you wouldn't be able to see the pictures from the web. You would have, you would have needed a high speed line to see that. And everybody, people at their houses had dial ups and stuff. Yeah, so exactly. It, was just, yeah. <laughs> it used to, yeah, it would be like, hey. Let's go over to Steve's house. He's got a 14-4 modem. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe this picture is downloading so quickly. I can't wait to look at it. <laughs> so when we were on tour, we would ask. You know, I'd, I'd be like, we'd, we'd ask, please, does anybody have a floor we could sleep on? And I remember thinking, you know, let's pick the people who look like they have an ex, you know, a phone line that we can use. <laughs> like, let's make sure that, like. I remember asking, I remember after a while asking, you know, do you have internet access? I remember you know, early on when occasionally we'd get hotel rooms and stuff or motel rooms and you'd be trying to talk to them about, well, can I take, can, what kind of phone jack do you have? Because some, some hotels, motels, motel sixes, especially, right. Um, would have the wired phone jack, right. 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 And so it was like, Oh, we can't, you need to be able to unplug the jack from (laughs) the phone. We need to to plug it into the computer modem. And they're like, what? And and then of course, you might as well be trying to explain a car trick to a dog. You know, they don't know nothing about it. They don't want to know anything about it. It's like, what do you just, yeah. come on. Condo well, breakfast is at eight. Or, you know, Motel yeah. six managers are already suspicious of everyone. I right? know. We're, exactly. we're like, you know, we're a rock band too. You know, we didn't look like, we didn't Why look like Why are they asking upstanding. about the phone line? It's yeah, got to exactly. be something Drugs. illegal. Yeah. Yeah. It's something nefarious and it, it, will, it will come yeah. to no good. They're up to no good. <laughs> and I'm going to wind up with the cops at my Motel six again. <laughs> Uh, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's probably their primary concern. And probably not that far off base, really. Uh, okay, so that's developing. It's still a, a little while before that uh, comes. Anything more on Daisy Chain Reaction that you, that you, you want to speak to? Um, you, 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 uh, you ask us what you want to know about it. Uh, well, okay. Let's. I, I briefly mentioned the, the video for F.U.C.K., which was a, which was a single in an era where when the record actually <laughs> can see the light of day, uh, 
you know, there, there was a lot of stuff happening around that time. That was uh, that was the, the year punk broke, right? I saw that documentary. Yeah, and, and 120 Minutes, which right. was... Which was um, actually a cool thing. Like, you could see yeah. bands that were not the corporate-approved <laughs> bands at yeah. that time. They let the weirdos in for a minute. You're right. Went back when MTV showed music videos, and then they had a two hours on Sunday nights, the, the dead time, where they'd, they'd show alternative underground music videos and and we got on that show and that that was a huge thing do you remember it was a single the single wasn't going to be if you ck it was going to be chain the reaction video we we were in fact i think the footage at the metro is of us playing daisy chain reaction or chain reaction and then <laughs> bill bill uh What's Bill's like? He's Bill I, I, Ward. Bill Ward. Sorry, I'm friends with him on Facebook. Um, he he, the video guy. And now I know after doing music videos, it's like he said, you know what? We should do a video of this song if you see K. And 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 I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I guess so. And I realize now it's what two two minutes thirty seconds, and that's much shorter. The other song much is short. Longer, and so yeah. it's not. I was always like, oh, he just knows the best song, and he figured out what the lead song should be on the record but i also am now i should talk to him about this is like was it just simply like there's no Shorter. way i can make a five minute music video <laughs> for the song They've, we've got to do let's do one of these short songs yeah and so yeah all kind of came together very quickly based around that then we did all the footage down in champagne and some up in chicago and he put it all together yeah so what's happening like show wise, tour wise, around this time, you're you're playing with uh, like minded bands, things along those lines. And I tell the story, like we went on tour, right? It's, was it, that was the tour supporting Daisy Chain Reaction? And we drove up, we did the the uh, like Chicago, uh, Wisconsin, Minneapolis, and then we went around to. So, oh, we went left, yeah. So to set the scene, so that summer, right before the record came out. It was pressed and sitting in the warehouse. And I remember we opened for Fugazi in Champagne on the, su the summer of 91. And I remember talking to Ian and saying, yeah, I think our record's in the same warehouse as your stuff. And he was like, mm. didn't understand that, that he didn't understand. It's like, why? So, <laughs> but anyways, I was like, oh, our record was finally coming out. I was really excited. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's the kind of stuff that was starting to happen. We were opening, we had played out east and done a one-week tour it played with um thin white rope um yeah we were opening up for cool bands in champagne uh i think we had opened up for a few cool bands in minneapolis so, yeah like yeah. Dave's in toyland obviously yeah. and um chicago bands we probably played that show with uh i don't know when we played that show with urge overkill and the digits but and, yeah it was around that time so that was what was going on so with was, us was in the this Midwest. the first time we went west so this was the oh. first time we In the oh, okay. So we have a tape deck in the in the van, right? We have the brand new Nirvana tape. Was it a tape or CD? It was a tape, and yeah. it was a boombox. Oh, was not, yeah, right, I right, don't think right, the tape right, deck right. was working. Right, right. That's right. We had a boombox. So we got the brand new Nirvana record. Um, and it was called Nevermind, and we were listening to it. I remember, and we have videotape of ourselves listening to. It. Da, 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 da. We were like, "This is pretty good." Um, and then we we played in Minneapolis, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no, and also everyone was watching yeah. it because yeah. you know Sonic Youth had signed to a major. Um, 
it it's it was okay, but it didn't seem like it had changed much. Like they didn't become superstars. Um, Husker Du had fallen apart. It seemed like. I mean, obviously now you read the now we really, yeah. You know, but it but it felt like oh, it was like the kiss of death. And so Nirvana, it was like the rumor was is they got a, a pretty big amount of money, and it was like wow, what's going to happen with this? Everyone was kind of like in the scene was kind of. It was waiting to see what 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 would happen. Like, we were how too. are these guys gonna? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, no. We were like, everyone. well, we'll consider signing to a major label if they are okay. And we had already talked. Yeah. So we had talked to three majors, and so we were already frustrated with Twin Tone because of distribution problems. We love Twin Tone, yeah. but it was like, but I mean, what Evil you, it also was right. nice to have records too. It's going to take another year to get a record out. We we're going to have to figure something out, um, and uh, yeah. So, go so on. we were Sorry. like going counterclockwise around the United States and played in Seattle. And I don't remember the different, I don't remember now anymore. Like we're. Well, we, we the guy we stayed with in Seattle was the guy doing the Nirvana t-shirts and oh, he was right. starting to freak out. It was like. Yeah. He had a like, lot of I, orders. I'm, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And it I got a broken like, Nirvana shirt too. Remember? Yeah. He's like, well, this is, this is a misprint. If you want it, you can have it. I was like, cool. I'll take that. You know, because I like this band. They're pretty good. But um, he was like, things things are getting weird. Like yeah. he, he, he I remember him talking and he was like, Something's something's going on. <laughs> but we were we were being interviewed at college radio stations, right? And then they would say, What what song do you want to hear? And I remember Bob was Bob on, on the tour yeah, of us. Yeah. You play the play the Nirvana song and they were like, Oh yeah, it's cool. You know, okay, we'll play it. KCRW, were we on or something? We were in San Francisco, I think, yeah. Okay, so we were San Francisco. Was that the place where they I were think like, San okay. Francisco was they, where they it were was. like, where, where do you guys, you know, what do you, uh, interview, 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 what do you guys want to hear? And I was, I think I said, play the Nirvana song. I really like right. it. And they were, they were like, they were like, you're kidding, right? And I'm like, no, why? You don't like it? And they were like, yeah, that's on, that broke already. That's on, you know, K Rock and stuff. And I was like, what? Had transcended beyond the the college radio world. Play that. Yeah, yeah you it know, was like a two something. week thing. In yeah. two weeks, everything yeah. changed. And by the, the time of a tour, can, can you right. imagine yeah. being but on tour during the, the pandemic? That's. <laughs> and so yeah, we got down to Poor Texas, guys. and that was yeah. when um, if you see K was on 120 minutes. I remember sitting. You know, we played a club to 50 people, maybe at most. Probably, probably not. Or was Louisiana right? Yeah, it was Louisiana. Lafayette, it was right? Lafayette, Louisiana. And after the show, we watched ourselves, ourselves. on 120 minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then by the time we got to New York, there were 15 major labels who wanted to sign us. And it was like, the, it was insane, basically. Everything, yeah. well, everything went to hell, basically. It, it be, uh, the upside down. The, it be, yeah, the whole world it turned It was up. the feeding frenzy at that point. It yeah. Was the, uh, the pigs, and, at, pigs and, at the trough, if you will. <laughs> we were already suspicious and and very wary of major labels and so then all of a sudden to ha- it was great having the attention but we also knew that it was complete uh yeah it was a feeding frenzy it was not yeah. based on like these people did not know who we were didn't care about us until all of a sudden it was like everybody needs a nirvana everybody needs a right. bunch of they wanted the, the next Nirvana. They, it wasn't based on your particular merit or your uh, skills as you know uh, a, a band or even as human beings. It was like, no, we we need a Nirvana. Yeah. Which so it was not- 
so so how did so you ended up going to Sire, right? And that- and yeah, so we had already talked to the guys. So there were there were three people that we had talked to before all this, like when we had been to New York and and people who so the guy who signed us to Sire was also the guy who signed Uncle Tupelo, right? And so he was uh uh Joe McEwen, yeah, as we'll say, yeah, yeah, and music we journalist, to- you know, <laughs> Philadelphia guy, right? Um, I remember he just was really. Uh, I'm trying to remember. You can look him up in terms of his journalism, but definitely like soul and rock and stuff like that. But like James Brown, you know, the the famous James Brown concert the day that Martin Luther King, or the day after he was assassinated. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Talking about watching that, he was one of those those rock critic, rock journalist guys who became an A and R guy. And so we had talked to him, yeah, well before all the craziness happened. We had talked to uh, Peter at uh, Columbia, and then uh, Al, Al Atlantic, who Al signed uh, like Jawbox, right? The guy. Yeah. So there were these guys who um, were already they were just looking for underground artists that you know might sell a few records more on a major label, but but not. Uh, be huge but but the thing i th- I find very interesting is he went with is someone that you knew had an earnest interest in the music and the band before it was <laughs> before <laughs> before everybody could feign interest and be like oh yeah i've been a fan for forever and i think that's very key and very cool and 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 is in character uh for for, for the band for sure I just remember you like like uh, my bloody Valentine was on Sire and and to me that I mean I love that record and it sounded like this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it sounds like that still does like, too. If they if they if they put that record out they'd probably be okay. <laughs> <laughs> they, they would they would they would be more amenable to uh, yeah. what what you what you want to do which would likely sound you know like polished pop compared to some of the weirder stuff and. Sure. and- and this was the window was closing, but at the time it was starting to happen. But at the time, there was still enough money being made. It was the crazy CD era where they were making money hand over fist, and you could, the labels could sign artists that the people at the label liked. So right. it was kind of like the way you rationalized. It's the same thing as musicians, right? As, as somebody working at a major label, the way they would rationalize it is, yeah, I'm pushing this crap record, but I'll, at least I get to help out this band I like that you too. actually like and so you you get that uh, you had that the A&R with, with the, the personal investment which everybody likes to claim and everybody likes to, to overstate but in reality it was very rare because while academically someone may be interested in something they're going to be unable to really do that much for the band and usually it's sort of like hey you're up on this shelf you know you're up here with my knickknacks look at my awesome knickknacks up here yeah. And and the other thing is is the Sire was part of Warner Brothers, the whole that Warner ecosystem and and they had something called the Alternative Marketing Department, which was basically like a, a little tiny indie label within Warner that helped right. all the small fry bands. So it was a bunch of people, like six or seven people who had worked at mom and pop record shops, you know, had worked at indie distributors and everything like that. And so we wound up working with those people and we had the huge kind of major label thing going on, but at least we always had those five or six people who were supporting our record in the same way a really sort of high functioning made uh, indie label would be that that was what we were was like they did not have to hit massive numbers or whatever you know kind of major label jargon so that was another selling point for us is like oh here here are a bunch of people that um 
it's not just A and R people right sign you the label, but then after that you're kind of <laughs> yeah. all they do is say, oh, I, I like the record, or you should do this and that. Maybe you know, and you don't have as much engagement with them. Yeah, they they don't forward. do a huge amount, especially for a band like us, where it's like, well, yeah, you could tell tell me not to sing that at the end of the song, but I, I don't mind <laughs> sing it. You Anyways. mean you mean this the part at the end of "He's My Star"? Yeah, you're talking about. Well, okay. Hey, the off. reason why you, what no the ending of "He's My Star" is yeah. that yeah oh you should take that off. but he had demoitis I don't think it was on the demo so there's demoitis too you know people people like a song in the demo form and then they if they've listened to it enough they they get married to it okay so just before we before we move on now to Tool the Man I just where we where, where was your headspace at. While that this was going on, obviously, it's a crazy time just to be alive in general. Like, culture itself was changing, but to be, you know, if not at the vanguard, like, certainly within the, within the movement of it and coming from the place where you were at, but then also analyzing the new information and taking it in. Where where was your headspace at? Where What were you feeling? What were you thinking, both of you? We quit our jobs um, when we went on that tour, right before we went on that tour, remember? And it, it was not because of the prospect of a major label no. thing. It was because we couldn't... We take six could, weeks up. Couldn't sustain it, yeah. So we, we asked for six weeks and they said no. Yeah, when what are you gonna do about it? came out, it like, was like, bye. well, let's let's take a <laughs> we can We can do this full tour and come back home and get programming jobs again. That was our attitude. And then the whole Nirvana thing happened, and so we didn't have to go back to our programming jobs for a few years at least. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah, so it was, for us, it was just kind of like a, 20 something leap you know it's like what what do we got to lose we can we can always go back to work (laughs) and so that was our state of mind in terms of what was going on i think i don't know we're practical having talked to steve albini again he was very good and you you for those of you who've read the article what's what the problem with music right that was that's kind of just a distillation of what he would tell every band Mm -hmm. you know especially when things were going or our things that were going on this time is, is you know this is how major labels work and this is what's going to happen yeah we knew exactly what was going to happen i mean we we, we were very very level-headed about it um when we got our money we we bought computers and recording equipment with it uh we never i, I don't think we ever expected to be i i never in my wildest dreams did i expect to be like famous or and, and there like were a few other bands like we had seen bands that were you know so there were bands that were playing the indie rock circuit but were on majors right before the nirvana thing happened and even after right obviously but um in tour buses and so i just remember what is it psychofunkopus was the band oh. <laughs> um, probably the first psychofunkopus uh, reference on protonic reversal right uh, <laughs> but i what i remember about it is i basically was asking them accounting questions like how much that bus costs every every it's it's 250 dollars a night and it's like how much are you getting paid 250 dollars yeah. a night and so it's like i'm doing the math and it's like okay we can't do that like we could take and then yeah the explanation about tour support so it, it was just that we were we were lucky enough to ask questions to be educated to be you know, have Steve was a great resource, but also right. the the problem is is that when someone like Steve Albini or someone like Ian Mackay tell you um, <laughs> how the music business works, that it's also kind of like saying, "This is how to live life like a unicorn. You can yeah. be a unicorn too." And it's like, <laughs> okay, uh, so I think, sure, we yeah, we're 
learning requires synthesis and understanding who you are too, right? It's so, so the thing is, is you that can't slot yourself into a pre-existing yeah. thing, right? And it, so I think not, some people, that one size fits all that way. So just in the same way people fell into the, the rock and roll ideas, like, Oh, we've got to, we're on a major label. We got to be on a tour bus. Other people said, we're not going to sign to a major label because uh, we're going to get screwed. Right. And so for us, it was like, we have a twin tone contract. We can't get out of, are we going to put out two more records on this label that can't put records out? <laughs> right. And I think, I mean, things usually kind of, the first thing you think of when you, yeah. When you, when we had this, yeah, someone to buy us out of this. And so for us, it was like, okay, Sire records, that's a label that, uh, put out so many of my favorite records. Right. And so it's like, and some of the people are still there. We got to talk to Seymour Stein, you know, it's, it, I mean, it, 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 it had all sorts of problems, but it was also like, Hey, this is, this is where you go. And the replacements, you know, were doing okay. You know, they did, they made that jump to sire and it, you know, and then you, you just, and it's like, okay, but don't, don't fall into the rock star stuff and don't fall into debt and don't do all this stupid stuff. Don't, if you, if you're not making enough money, you don't have enough fans to afford a bus and you just take the money and get the bus, at some point, that's going to go away. Because we knew that story. Now you hear behind the music and you have all those documentaries. But if you weren't a student, and this is, the other, uh, this is what I should say about Champagne. Is, so Champagne uh. has had lots of amazing bands from the 60s through. Like Irving Azoff, not a band, but like the, you know, one of the kings of major label nightmare kings yeah Yeah. was 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 from champagne like started out in champagne managed aria speedwagon and dan fogelberg and so there were people like history there yeah yeah had come out of that that scene and gotten rich and famous but then there are 10 or 15 years of people who we saw and were still in bands were working at record stores who had gotten those big major label breaks and then bought a car right yeah. And that's the story. Is like, or and, and went on tour. The screams weren't. Then they they made it. They went on tour. Screams, to, yeah. To like they were in England or something, and then the tour the tour support fell through. So or getting, something yeah. or they no they got dropped right they got dropped, dropped while they were in while London they were in London yeah. they had to come yeah. home and they had to find money to get themselves home <laughs> stories like that it's so, so it's it's so terrible. Um, yeah, the Elvis brothers. So the Elvis brothers, you know, it's yeah, Brad. Brett, yeah, it was was in screams, right? But yeah. but so they and they had done sort of well, but then things had fallen apart for them, and so there was the last gentleman, which was this great synth pop act, um, had had huge struggles with trying. They should have been, you know, kind of like the American Depeche Mode, but somehow everything got messed up. So from for us, we were not only getting this indie rock thing, we were also getting this okay, so. There's that idea of getting signed to a major label and you get all this stuff, but it's like there's so many um, potholes in that road. And there were a lot of people around the champagne scene that knew, you know, talked about it or didn't talk about it or you heard about it. So we had that and we were able to synthesize all that information. It was like, okay, we've got to keep our heads about this and we got to be realistic. It's like, yeah, maybe, maybe we could have a popular song, but the way we would have a popular song is if we just it accidentally fell out of us. <laughs> it was, I've talked to so many musicians and one specific one, it was just like, they say we need a hit and we got a writer. And I'm just like, I, I, I think you should just make your record and hope for the best. Cause you're going right. to, you're going to totally mess yourself up. The, and somebody like the smashing pumpkins. So you have a band like the smashing pumpkins who are kind of a little 
later than us, but moved up and went astronomical. But I remember seeing them when they when they opened for us in Champagne. It was like they already had roadies and they were setting it up. And it's they like, had all okay. the trappings. They had all the yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also the way they they approached the business side and the management company and everything like that. It was like okay, they're operating on this different level and this different mentality, but also they're making music that's the exact music that they want to make or he wants to make. Let's 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 call this. Yeah, one. let's let's call it what it is, right? <laughs> and. And it's gonna it it's resonating whether or not you think Billy Corgan's a genius. My perspective is is no he he wrote the exact music he wanted to write at that time, and it was exactly the right place, right time, and then the right machine behind him. Right. And so to to get into this headspace where you're going to make music that's going to be something that you're not is is impossible. That's a very long answer, but it's kind of an overarching. No, 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 but, but, but it makes sense. It ties into some other things, which what I was, I was sort of leading you towards anyway, which is to say that uh, with that background and with those ideas uh, behind that and being able to come into things with critical thinking skills and to be able to say, Oh, you know, let's, let's make sure that we take a path where we can keep this sustainable. Right. That every, everything that we ever did was every, every decision that we ever made was to um, to uh, make the band more sustainable. It was like to to to, uh, to yeah yeah to to give us the longest life longevity. Possible. And yeah. so the, yeah, every the, decision the the arc. You know the so arc. you don't get you don't get to be in the tour bus, but you also get to like not have to spend that money, and you can use that money for other things to keep things sustainable and keep the ship moving too. Exactly. And so the next record, Tool of Man, when we were on that Screaming Trees tour, it was like talking to i think it was van one of one of the brothers was like oh no we're going back to work after this and they, they had the they bus were, and everything they, and they going, yeah. had yeah. sold two hundred thousand records and it was yeah. just like okay i don't want to do that i want i want to be able to go home to champagne after my tour and write more music i don't want to have to work at a restaurant at yeah. the same time and so it was economics it was practicality yeah and it was just practicality it was like why why not why do i need these trappings um, because when I get home, I want to be able to work on music. I want to be able to, I want someone to call up and say, Hey, do you guys want to go on the six week tour and say, yeah, I, <laughs> instead of, Oh no, I can't quit my job right now. Yeah. Right. Right. Instead, instead of having the, the trappings of, of ordinary life sort of locking you in. Uh, so we were poor, but not broke. Right. Right. Whereas the, you, you chose to use your resources in such a way to provide sustainability for the things that were important to you. And so the, the, the other way to go is, is to look like you're doing really well. Like you roll up to the, the show in a bus, right? And you look like you're doing really well, but then you go home and you're, you're broke. You have to right? get a job. So I would rather, you know, just show up in the van. You know, yeah. And we slept on so many floors. Yeah. I mean, I slept... I slept on hardwood floors and I, and I liked it. Um, but now, you know, and, and I was, I, I've been somewhere just recently where I had to sleep on the floor and I was like, Oh, I can do that. And I kind of liked, I like, I like knowing that, that I don't need that much, you know, it it is a, a good experience. I mean, I, I, 
don't have problems going into disgusting bathrooms when I'm traveling. Not that I. Tra- <laughs> <laughs> it it is a certain skill set that you learn for sure. I, Roughing it, 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 yeah. And you know what? Freaking sitting in a van with five people, four people, five people for six weeks. I that's that's war training for where we're at right now. I mean, that's that's really. I mean, we know how to kind of deal with each other. We know how to deal with our children being cooped up in the house because we we were in a box for months on end with four children ourselves you know and yeah like i had billy gould uh from faith no more and and whatnot on the show and you know that was like really early on with the quarantine and i was like you know how are you holding up and and he's like well you know i was telling my kids you know you've got netflix you've got like the (laughs) internet you got all this stuff this is way easier than just even being on tour at least you have room to move around yeah. And I was like, yeah. you know what? That's a really good point. Like, because you you come to take all the uh, the modern amenities that we are provided in in life right now, and sort of take that as like a, a given and take it for granted. Speaking personally, first U.S. tour I ever did, we didn't even have a stereo. Like, yeah. Period. And like, I was like, how did how did we do that? And I oh, we just talked to each other, I guess. You know. Well, for most, I don't know what <laughs> first tour, but yes. I think we probably learned from our first tour is that we never had music in the van after that first tour. Oh, yeah. Because that's a way an argument starts. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's why you just have a rule. No, no days off either. Yeah, days, days off, pillars. Yeah, uh, that's that's the Wattism, right? If you're, uh, if you're not playing, you're paying. Yeah. For us, it was more like you're, you're just looking at we'll each, other, each re- other. Yeah, ready to rip yeah. someone's gut. <laughs> a, little, a little more serious. So, okay. So, with that, that leads us to Tool the Man. So, that's the one... Uh, that that's the one that, that, I, that, that there's a lot of things I could say after that's the one that's also that's the one where I came in is what I was going to say I'm not sure if it were but that's also the one that's got the um, it's like the uh, what do you what do you call the the type of the, the album cover what do you call that that manner of art yeah well like op art no but it's yeah but like a, illusion yeah it's an it's an optical illusion thing on the inside yeah oh, oh that oh the 3d stereo stereogram is that what it's called magic eye it's stereogram Ma- i think it's it magi- called magic eye i think magic i think it's like i think magic eye is like the frisbee to that where it's like that's actually a brand name but they've yeah. i think it's a stereogram nobody cared enough to learn what the actual thing was like no one calls it a flying disc right they just call it a frisbee which seems right same deal with magic eye i think anyway so the point of fact is that there's there's is optical illusion style art for the, this record tool the man uh this is johnny this is john on drums yeah. for this one right at this, at this point i read that his name is spider <laughs> that's right i forgot about that so, some people called him spider i totally forgot about that um he must because he had a spider tattoo yeah yeah he was called johnny machine at the time but he's now known as john herndon so, question? Yeah, yeah. So the question with that is, uh, well, first of all, the n- the name of the record is Tool the Man, and that was uh, meant to be sort of like a, a play on play on words with the, the sellout argument that was happening at the time. Or what? what but he was wrote the... that somebody wrote it in the dust on our van, right? Yeah, I think it's oh, really? <laughs> um, No, something, and then Tool the Man. What poster Children, Band of the Year, Tool of the Man. Right. <laughs> So, we love that. That was when I was grabbing, yeah, I, I still do, but yeah, just stuff I saw. So, what was it also in, in uh, Johnny's hometown, um, Asheville? Oh, yeah. One of his hometowns, Nash- Asheville, 
North Carolina was where good energy rules with an iron fist was spray painted on the wall. <laughs> Graffiti always a good source of lyrics for us. <laughs> it's it's the it's the original proletariat poetry. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so talk to me about the uh, the recording of that first. So the recording of that record. Uh, this this is comes out on Sire, right? Just say you forgot, Rick. Yeah, he's looking at me. He's I, not happy. We so hated recording that. I have a problem with that. I I do not like that record. So yeah, and okay. I know no, people. Why? Love, why? Why don't I, you like? Oh, that it's the entry point for a lot of people, and yeah, it's a lot of people's favorite record. So it's bad for me to say this. Well, so what do you feel? Let's put it this way: What do you feel like? Doesn't uh, does doesn't give you like the feeling that you want from a good recording from there. Like what what is what is something you would like to see improved if you were in the situation to do so? I think we should have re-recorded it. I think we took the money and run ran. So basically, if you didn't spend your whole budget, you could take that money, the gap. And so we spent less than our budget on the record, so we kept that money. And so I think part of it was financial. I don't like I, the guitars are not as distorted as I liked. Um, I think so. I, I I like the coding stuff that and the bitch magnet stuff that Mike McMacken had done. But then when we were actually recording, it it didn't feel like. And also, I had thrown my guitar at the time out <laughs> into the audience at a Detroit. Okay. Radio. Now, as a Radio Zero listener, I, I know this entire story, and it's it's a good one, uh, but, but it's, I, very, it's very yeah. long. So if, if there's a possibility so, for a truncated version of this, I'd it, like to hear it. But Well, no, I just threw my guitar away, and it was a guitar I actually bought in the town we live in now. Um, but uh, in, And then I scrambled to, to get new guitars before recording the record. We also recorded in New York um, under the delusion that going somewhere far away is a good idea. Right, so there's that mythical, not a good idea, romantic idea. This kind We're of is be a, in a destination <laughs> recording, is what yeah. deserted yeah. island where nothing will affect us. We won't be able to have any outlet at all from the the. Uh, so we the will have to be more creative because there's going to be no other option. Yeah, we weren't uh-huh. near our favorite guitar store, which was in your town. Um, still, Rock is Rock House, House still? Rock House? It's a different location, uh, but right. it's still still rusty. Still awesome. So yeah, yeah. So when we were in Madison, we could go to Rock House. And then when we were in Champaign, you know, going up to Chicago, half the band was in Chicago. We were rehearsing show. We could go to Rock House and get guitars. All of a sudden, we're in the middle of New York, upstate New York, recording at this beautiful studio. But it was, it 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 just did not feel right. And mm. well, Mike Mike wanted to record there, right? Yeah, but I yeah. think I think it, I think we were. We were into that idea of going somewhere to record. At least I was. I believed. I thought that was a good idea. And well, try something new. We'd, yeah, we'd, we'd been. Yeah. yeah. Why? Why? And that's keep the other thing. Is just yeah. like people say. Well, why didn't you record with Steve? And it's like because we already did record with Steve. It, it, it was a bunch always, of times. Two records. Yeah, we thought. Well, we've got to make sure that we. <laughs> how many records are we going to have? We <laughs> vocally, uh, the whole process of recording vocals, I, I was was a nightmare. I think. I I honestly I personally feel like I've never recovered from that experience. I think I whatever I had early on as a singer uh with Flower Flower and Daisy Chain Reaction, I lost it. <laughs> Recording Tool of the Man and have not been able to regain it. I mean, so the whole time so I 
feel like we talked about like Mike McMacken felt like it he wasn't making a coding record or a bitch magnet record. Now we chose him because we love those records, but I feel like he was making a major label record. He was now. under he a huge amount of pressure. Yeah, too. He didn't so want to fuck was it up. His, it was our first right. yeah. major label release. It was his first major label release. And what I didn't understand is that his mindset would be different than ours. Right. Mm. And so he was under a certain amount of pressure. He was under his preconceived notions of what it should sound like regarding a major label recording. I was under my preconceived notions, which were that we need to make sure to make this a record that sounds like we haven't changed. Right. But you don't want to make some glossy unrepresentative, you know, (laughs) as many, we won't name any names, but as some bands were, 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 you know, they put out records. You're like, is this the same band? (laughs) The reality, this is the dirty reality of, of major label careers is that for the most part, the reaction you get from the label is complete indifference and you're fighting for attention. And this is, even, I'm not even right. talking about, you know, small fry band from central Illinois. I'm talking about big bands that maybe yeah. have, haven't had a great record for a while. It's, it's all indifference. And so what happens though, is those bands make the jump and then they think I've got to make a record like that. Like I was talking about, it's like, and we didn't have any A&R pressure. It was, it was not like, Oh, you guys got to have a hit. <laughs> there was nothing like that. It was like, be yourselves, do what you do. Right. And, and so, which is what we wanted, but um, the, you can totally psych yourself out. I don't feel like I, 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 I think that record is pretty contrarian. Actually. I think it might've been the opposite direction. I think we may have been, there's some slint damage. Yeah. We're yeah. subsuming some of our more poppy instincts on that record. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> I, we were going in the opposite direction in some ways, but it was also the, the where we were going to, you know, it was music was changing. What we were listening to was changing and we had a new drummer. And so it's, it's very characteristic of who we are. I don't think it's an inaccurate document, but I think um, it doesn't sound like the record I want it to sound like. Did we record it? Ugh, too late now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh and, and this is something where uh Johnny's and Johnny's with you for a while. Year and a half. He was yeah, he he stuck it out. And uh t- talk to me about about the, the touring around this time now. Uh playing, playing out, touring. Do you want to talk about that, Rose? No, or? I don't remember it. What well, I mean, once once Tool of the Man came out, so it was insane, actually. Oh, around was it that the, time. like the failure tour? So at the end of 92, we had finished oh, no. all of our touring. Was it the end of 92? Yeah. Bob was done with the band on that first big U.S. tour. The signing to the major label thing was about to happen. So Bob had quit the, the band in the middle of the tour, classic. And then he went back in. Which I think he was just being mercurial, but I was like, there's no way this is just going to keep happening, right? If somebody can quit in the middle of a tour. It's it's a very poor precedent, to put it bluntly. So basically, at the end of the year, it was like, we're getting all of this attention from all these labels. We don't have a drummer. We've got to find a new drummer. Oh, so we called up Steve Albini and said... Albini said... Johnny's the best drummer in town. Yeah. I think Precious Wax Strippings had just broken up. You should you should get him. And we tried him out, and he was great. And it was like, okay. And then it was like, got the call from Swerve Driver, 
or their booking agent was like, do you want to open for Swerve Driver? They want you to open. And we're like, sure. And that was, I think we had, Johnny had been in the band two weeks before we went on that tour. <laughs> and so we toured, did that Swerve Driver tour. So that's six weeks. That was insane. That Swerve Driver tour was insane because uh, they went through three drummers during that tour. So at least wow. so when our drummer quit. <laughs> during the tour. During the tour, right. he stayed in the band. He said, yeah. I'm done after the tour. So that's that's something to be said about Bob is at least he was yeah, like he I'm not yeah, he's, he, yeah he was he was like I'm quitting yeah but I'm gonna play I'm the gonna whole see tour this, the tour through yeah it whereas we saw <laughs> front row seats to seeing Swerve Driver nice. and then all of a sudden we once we get into Canada you know we hadn't seen them for two days and all of a sudden uh, what's his name from Run Westy Run which was another. Uh, Minneapolis band that we had played with was was playing drums, sitting there with a Walkman playing drums at, at the sound check, and it's like practicing the songs. Our drummer with disappeared. The yeah, our drummer disappeared, and so now he's here. And then uh, what's his name? DC. I'm on friends with him on Facebook too. Right. You know, showed up a few uh, weeks later. Later was uh, Canty. No. No, 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 not no. Oh, uh, see, I'm so. I can't remember it. <gasps> this is not because I don't remember. It's because I'm old. Yeah, it's not. Anyways, because you don't remember. yeah. So then they got a permanent drummer for the. Rest oh, of the what tour, is his name? It's terrible. Anyways, um, uh, it isn't a Brendan. James. Kennedy? And then, and then we had we so we we did that insane tour. Then we wrote a bunch of songs. Had the Detroit show recorded. The album and then what the album came out and then i think we did the tour with the screaming trees um but that the the tour Where supporting, i was crying the whole time yeah the tour supporting the female bass player the tour so su- fucking mad sorry go on the tour supporting oh so that would have been the end of 92 i can't remember anyways the tour supporting tool of the man it was it was screaming trees but then we did shows after that i think we we did 88 shows in a year straight. Yeah. No, straight. straight. 88. Something insane, like 88 shows straight. That's a lot. And Bro. Did Johnny quit after that? I forgot. Johnny quit. <laughs> <laughs> it was more complicated than that, but it was definitely shows. like, like, but we, uh, did we love it? Cause I, oh yeah, it I feel, good. I loved it. I loved it. All of this. Okay. So I, mean, I know it cried a lot, but yeah. So, so I, I, just because there are people to listen to this show that aren't necessarily Radio Zero listeners, uh, I, I do want to touch briefly about uh, about Mark Lanigan's book and uh, also former guest of the show. And how dare you? Yeah, and I, I, I just want to want to get get something clear about this. There, there's some. First of all, he's he's pretty brutal in this book to almost everyone, but uh, there there was some miscommunication, mis mis misread things. Uh, it, it seems to me, but there was some trash talked specifically in the fact that it seemed as if uh, Rose that he thought that uh, you called him like what a Jim Morrison wannabe, if I remember correctly. Uh, that idiot thinks he's Jim Morrison. The female bass player said. <laughs> I think he called you by name. I'm going to look it up. I, I I looked it up on Google Books, right? Um, yeah, yeah. He said, so, so first of all, I don't use the word idiot. And also, I'm... I think I am you're a, more of a moron person, yeah, right? You yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I would have said, yeah, I would have yeah. said asshole or something. Yeah. Um, and also, when there's a band that's, that's like a little older than us, like, 
I would have just been reverent. That's all I would have been. Right, because you saw them not only as fellow travelers, but you also were kind of like, oh, this is great. You know, there's this is. A I didn't see him as fellow. Thing. No, I don't. I don't see people as fellow travelers. I see them as as like you know mentors or people to be followed. And this, they they had asked us to be on the tour, and I was so honored. I, this band is allowing us to be on the tour with us. And Rick, feel you. I know you felt the same way. We're just like anybody who asked us to be on a t- on a tour with them, we, and and we said yes. You know, oh, you know, we would have been very reverent to them. Yeah. You know, and and like you hear me talk about the listen to us talk about any band that's like a like a year older than us or something. We we never we never trash. Do we ever trash talk anybody? Uh, n- not, not not even that. We no. were just we even you know we. I just remember. <laughs> I've, I've tried to push you to actually trash talk Rick, and you, you've you've generally demurred, which I think is very yeah. class act of you, and certainly more than I do. Very, very, very reverent to them. So he wrote he wrote something like I I said this idiot looks thinks he's Jim Morrison. The second thing I don't use the word idiot usually unless somebody is physically. I don't use that word. That's yeah, not a word. It's, and you're and not going to make a Doors reference because you don't. You're not. I don't even know who the Doors, doors are. They it, had yeah. this song from from Apocalypse Now. I don't. I don't listen to that. I don't listen to. Is it the '70s? I don't listen to that. '60s. That's, yeah. Whatever. I don't listen to it. If it's not the, se- it's like 1977 is where it starts for me. Where music starts. Yeah, he's not a not a reference point for you. No, not at all. Especially back in 1990. Two, yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, so so he says that I I said that, and then he goes on this whole long thing about how terrible it is to be compared to the to the guy from the Doors. Which why would you why would you not want to be compared to him anyways? Because that guy sucks. I mean, Jim Morrison's terrible. Like it's 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 and it's also a trope for a certain type of lead singer that's very self involved, very uh, um, like most of the. When you, when you think of, of, of the tropes that are commonly associated with lead singers, you can actually trace quite a few of them uh, to Jim Morrison. Like, they're being precious, like, not sewing up for sound check, and, you know, you know, like, just elevating the self over the, over the band, things along those lines. It's, it's, it, this, for a specific type of person that just sings, I could see where that would be almost, you know, maybe he might disagree with the term, but a triggering event to, to hear that. What, you know... Whoever is, said it, I could see yeah. where they'd be. Like, he'd be like, "What?" Especially, you know, especially back then where he was, you know, maybe not totally in the best on drugs. Space. Yeah, all the time. Um, and and that was another thing too. Like, we, I I don't care if he was on. He was he was really nice. I do remember right. that all of them were really really nice. But it it goes on in his book. He goes on to say that he was going to torture me by being extra nice to me. Which I, you know, I'm, I'm rereading this again. I wish I had like some feminist, uh, uh, like like information inside me, right? You know, where I could, I could like look. I was re- rereading it again, like through a different lens, and thinking that this this is some really assholey writing, and and it's terrible. It's it's like so I I was gonna hurt her by being really nice to her. Like being extra nice. That's that would and and like I'm trying to remember what else he wrote, but um, I, I you know the tour was. Uh, I mean, that's the thing is is being able to tour with a band like the Screaming Trees. It was exactly what we wanted. We wanted to be able to play in front of a lot of people who liked I rem- the, kind of weird, weirder music that rock. I remember and, the, yeah. the the day that I that I got him to come into our dressing room. I was like, oh, I'm getting I'm, Mark Lanigan said he's going to come into our dressing room, and I was so excited, and he came to visit. 
and stuff. So it, it really, it really, really hurts me, man. I can't remember what I was going to say. What else okay. Was well, gonna- yeah. And again, I don't want this, you know, to, to necessarily go on too long with that. But I, I will say that I've been, I've invited Mark to be back on the show again, so we can, we'll, we'll see if anything comes of that, and maybe we can get this sorted. Maybe, maybe I can be the go-between for this, which would make me very happy. So. Yeah, call him right now. <laughs> call no, him. No, you no. have his phone. Oh, let's, let's I do have his phone number, but I'm probably not going to do that right now. I think that would be a little weird. But uh, okay, so to set the record straight, didn't you didn't say any of that stuff? It, it sounds like a, 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 a the charitable way to say it would be a complete misunderstanding uh, on his part and mischaracterization. Just to, let's to just set the record straight. Let's just say from the viewpoint of a person who was there, he would be an unreliable narrator. Gotcha. Sounds good. And that's that no, no more needs to be said there. I wanted to get that on record. I don't want to spend too much time on it because even though it's relevant in the recent news, I feel like it's, there's a lot more to get to and I want to make sure to get that. So I hope you guys are cool with that. And whether you're cool with it or not, that's what we're doing. So RTFM, uh, Talk to you me about the, 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 you oh, the uh, junior citizen. Sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Howie is the where I was going to go with. It. Is it like uh, okay? Enter the enter the Howie and then uh, junior citizen. I was all flustered about land again. Sorry, I didn't mean that. <laughs> flustered about. Do you have, him a que- too. Do you have questions? Uh, you know, it just makes yeah. me feel bad that I've hurt somebody. You know, you unintentionally hurt you know, somebody. It, it, and somebody who I and, really looked up to. Also, yeah, okay, you can't sorry, be responsible right, for other back. people feelings especially in that way i hope can this book be sells you... a lot <laughs> yeah <laughs> gold mine publishing well and, and and i guess the last the one thing we didn't mention with tool the man is that uh, that's when your uh, your brother jim comes in on guitar too yeah uh, yeah yeah uh, so real quick just how how would how did you uh, enlist jim into post children well things were kind of getting weird I don't know how to say it without <laughs> anytime I talk about it, I get into trouble. I mean, we threw Jeff out of the band. Things, things got weird. Um, we tried going back to being a trio. Yeah. Yeah. So we did the three piece thing for a few months and it didn't, didn't work out. I, f- I felt like we needed, we needed another guitar player. Bob was really pro three piece. I remember that. And, uh, but again, that could have been an economic decision. <laughs> Who knows? I, you know, I, I, I started looking back at things. Hey, I mean, you know, exactly. I mean, that is, I, I mean, you never know. We, we were in the van once and Bob goes, guys, let's get a dog. We should get a dog. That'd be so much fun to tour with a dog. Wouldn't it? Let's get a dog. It was fun. Uh, we, we tried him out. Um, had a few, I think, what oh, was Jim. it? Tommy House? Yeah. What was the song we tried yeah, out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tommy, House. Tommy he House. He had he had some good, uh, yeah. good riffs. Yeah, yeah. So he's able to play and make up stuff. And <laughs> Basically in rehearsal. And re- that's that's a requirement of the band is because we write in rehearsal. Right. And it's, 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 it's not something where there's like, here's the articulated demo and here's the parts you're yeah. playing. It's, yeah. And and we're we're kind of wired you know, have similar musical backgrounds, obviously. Yeah, I figured you wouldn't get into a fight with him because your mom would get, you know, would yeah. stop fighting. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, he passed the audition. And, yeah, we started, he started playing. And then, yeah, so that was before Johnny. 
So by the time, yeah, so he was on the, so Jim was already he on was the, on, uh, on Tool the Man. And yeah, so we had already been, Jeff had been in the band for a year. Yeah, boy, I can't even remember the timeline with that, but yeah, definitely. So yeah, that's, but yeah, so the first this. record that Jim's actually on the recordings of is Tool of the Man. Yeah. So then, as I, as I mentioned earlier, enter, enter the Howie. And this is, uh, they got, uh, the, there's also the EP too, right? There's, there's, uh, there's, Oh, the Just Like You EP. Right. Yeah. So we had recorded 17 songs for Junior Citizen, and then they wanted to, the label did not want to release it in the fall, but we wanted to go on tour because mm-hmm. we had been waiting to make the record and everything like that. And it was like, no, the record can't come out yet. It wasn't a delay. It was just more like... <laughs> No, you can't. We can't put out a record in, in 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 a couple months. That's right. the down. It, it just didn't. They just didn't want to do that. They have. Yeah. You, all everything had to be done because of press at the time and everything. They had it, the cycle. As they there's say, a pipeline, yeah, and a cycle. <laughs> and so, put out the the extra songs. We chose some songs to separate out into an EP, not a mini LP. Um, and then. Uh, yeah, so that's what happened. So we recorded Junior Citizen all together, and and they just like UEP all together, and then just chopped it up into two pieces. And that's uh, Brian Anderson. Yeah, and so that was that was the uh, reference early on about gar- garbage. Is while we were at Smart Studios, yeah, that was the second time Butch Fix said he didn't want to record us, and so we wound up going to Smart and uh, working with Brian. Um, uh, but yeah, Shirley Manson was sitting. This this English lady was sitting in the uh, what is it called the the downstairs studio, right? Yeah, Wasn't but also it? just in the there's like there was like a room and a kitchen, you know, the, the lounge lounge. Yeah. And I remember Howie and Jim talking to her a bit, and I was like, yeah, they they just flew this woman in to try out to be a singer on these songs that Butch is working on with the the other guys, other producers, um, who are part of yeah who became garbage right and so that was that was the interesting thing about junior citizens we while while we were recording that album at smart they were starting to uh develop they had already recorded a lot of the instrumental tracks and they were looking for a singer and she was there to try out and then wound up being in the band didn't did kurt cobain kill himself during this time too yep, yeah. while we were at the studio and people yeah. were ringing the studio doorbell and it's like there's Butch is in here right now, and even if he was, he's not going to be able to help you out with Kurt dying. You know, yeah. that was weird. People were pounding on the doors, yeah. on the studio doors, like reporters were trying to get in, just trying to get a get a quote or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Heavy, which is interesting because I mean I think Junior Citizen's a relatively uh, jubilant record in a, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, certainly. You know the the title track is uh, some something of an anthem, uh, both live and and on the record. Also, it it seemed to me like that's that's the first one that really had in, any elements of um, like electronicness yeah. to it. Also, yeah. So Mel, our manager at the time, had been in. He was he had been uh, uh, <laughs> Thin White Ropes manager, and then he had uh, he and his uh, partner had been in a. Uh, well, now, now husband had been in a new wave band kind of in, in LA in the early eighties. And they had a drum machine and a synthesizer, which I have now and are worth a fortune now, but I bought from them for some ridiculous amount of money because nobody wanted them. And so, uh, and then Rose had a, 
an old uh, Juno Juno 6, again, which you, I don't know what you got, how much you got it for, but it was just super cheap because nobody wanted that stuff. And then we hooked it all together. And yeah, yeah, we're playing around with that when we did Junior Citizen. Yeah. So the song that was, you know, the thing is, is that I, I, I was, I was super into synths and new wave and four tracking that kind of stuff before uh before the whole sst thing and everything like that i was super into synth pop and stuff <laughs> stuff like that so it, um it wasn't too far of a leap and you can hear some of the new wave stuff in in the early flower plower stuff there's still a lot of new wave in there in fact the guy from codeine i remember when they stayed at our house he was like i like that earlier new wave stuff on that first record I was like, what are you the talking first- about which songs like uh what is it? The non reggae song and oh, oh sure, yeah, 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 yeah. They're they're they're, they're, they're yeah. Um, there's there's maybe more even of, like an I don't know XTC kind of uh, yeah yeah. Oh okay, all right. Yeah, all right. I'm not talking super. Not like Human League. <laughs> no. Okay. no. Uh, okay, so yeah, so Junior Citizen. It's in the cycle. Yeah, you're out. You're 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 playing. Uh, this is. Uh, Right about when the tour diaries go online, uh, there's there's a digital world that's um, that, that that's that's being created. Uh, if I remember correctly, Junior Citizen was one of the first enhanced CDs. Uh, was it Junior Citizen or RTFM? RTFM. RTFM. Junior Citizen had a uh, no, it had a uh, floppy, a three quarter yes, inch, right. there, there on <laughs> those hard plastic ones that were still called floppies. So there, there's there's the there's the attendant uh, bonus material uh, that, that comes with it, of, of which that was something that was very unique, uh, that is still very unique, frankly. So what uh, to to me it kind of seemed like okay, this is just something fun that we can do that adds to the overall experience. Uh, what what was the mindset behind including that? And the reason why I say that is because you know you certainly didn't have to go to that effort to to include that. The way I remember this is that, you know, people were starting to, to trade MP3s now, right? No? Still really? Well, okay. But well, the way I remember the electronic press kit stuff, or, or at least the, the enhanced CD stuff, which is what we call it, is I remember Howie Klein and, and, or Joe McEwen, who was it? Howie Klein, right? I think we were in L.A. Okay, we were in LA. We were um, at the Warner Brothers Sire, um, and they said, "You know, we're starting to experiment with enhanced CDs now. Do you guys want to make one?" And and we were like, "Yeah, sure." And then they were like, "Well, good. You guys are computer programmers, so go do it." And I remember it the other way, where it was like, "We need to do an enhanced CD." You know, do you get, you guys have people doing that? Because and that, this would have been more our RTFM era. I don't know what made yeah. the Junior Citizen thing happen. Yeah, but regardless. Yeah, I think initially we were under the expectation that we would get some help, or (laughs) they had a team of people to do this stuff, and then we found out, oh, no, they don't have a team to do this, in fact. Oh, no, you're the team. Yeah. Yeah, the digital (laughs) people who wound up being the digital people were people who had maybe been, I think, had been a product manager, and then they had to do digital stuff, and they were calling Rose about HTML and trying to you know f- get stuff going so See, and then, i don't remember that what i remember is is i remember just being challenged and being like and and him saying you guys are computer programmers right and i remember going yeah of course we are yes we know how to do that and i remember saying can i talk to your digital team just to make sure we're on the same page we're using the same software as them and i remember just going what the hell how would you, you do think, oh yeah let me get the digital team 
Hello, well, digital team here. <laughs> I, I had we came from I was programming eighty three, eighty six assembler before yeah. that. I was that's what I was we were programming. I don't even think I pro and maybe I programmed in C a little, but I was programming assembler. I didn't know how to put a picture on a screen. But I remember we we uploaded we FTP'd the tool of the man artwork to the label and they said this is the first time someone external from the company FTP has, has uploaded yeah. anything. So we were already operating yeah. on a level that, you know, since we were doing graphic design stuff. I um, do remember digitally, them asking. Higher yeah. technological engagement, more. Yeah. Uh, so wait, so wait, I would have had HTML before. We would have been doing tour. So I was doing tour reports before um, I made the enhanced CD. Yeah. Okay. Well, RTFM is the enhanced CD, the junior citizen thing. Yeah, that would have been yeah. still was Macromedia director. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Macromedia. Yeah. I could not think of Macromedia at all, which just, I don't yeah. know why I would th be thinking of Macromedia in 2020. And before that, you had done a hypercard thing for somebody. I totally forgot oh. about that. I mean, you, you'd done hypercard work. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's I didn't know weird what I was doing with the hypercard. Oh, I, I was going to send it to you. Somebody had, had, done something just recently there's a hypercard emu emulator and it they was a program though it wasn't it wasn't like hypercard was good because you could actually do yeah it had hypertext it, but, yeah. and everything oh. um but uh so you, you, so wait it a was, minute wait it a was minute. not uh not a not a big leap the first time i heard the word hypertext was the bass player from six finger satellite maybe Who was it yeah was it the bass player i don't know Okay. Well, it, it was explained to me what hypertext was. So, six-finger mm. satellite. I just remember my dad talking on the phone and saying, "You've got to see this thing. I, it's there on. It's on the computer. It has pictures. You can go look at this museum's. I don't think he said website. I don't know how he explained it, but he was right. like, "You have to see this thing." And we just Web got this pages. demo demo of 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 this thing. It was it was yeah. It was because he worked at a research laboratory and it was like they, they they were on the they were on the internet already and and so he had seen an early web page i can't remember was it they had some had put up some paintings from the louvre or something so the oh yeah yeah no so, the whole so we were lucky time enough we were to making, have yeah, these yeah, early yeah. early exposure to i was stuff, terrified so. the whole time that i was making <laughs> We're making this because I don't know, like I can program anything, but the content, I had no idea what to do. And I remember you saying, well, it's got to be different. And I was like, well, what? Just tell me. I, what what right. should I do? Was, <laughs> if that's not good. Ah, tell me. You know. So the residents had had an enhanced CD. This would be was our the, Was that a uh, bad day at the midway? Or was that, no, yeah. that was, was, okay. Gotcha. But they had collaborated with a multimedia, you know, company and everything yeah. like that right, right. They, so, they weren't programming it themselves right. right and so for us it was like okay we got to learn how to do this we're yeah we, we we're not going to partner with the team we're going to have to learn how to do this ourselves and that kind of carried through like when we made the dvd actually it was, i remember they there was an announcement that some mac was going to come out with a dvd burner in it in like six months and it was like okay now we can make a dvd do a master because before then it was super complicated. It was just like in the old days with CDs before you could afford a CD burner, you couldn't, they, they were, the CDs were a hundred dollars each, like the writable ones and the machine to write them was $4,000. And it was like, <laughs> it was not, it was not easy media to you had to go to a place <laughs> and get all this stuff done. And it cost a huge amount of money. And it was all of a sudden, Oh no, we're going to be able to afford this in six months. So we better start working on this project now. And so that was, 
I think we didn't, we were always looking a little farther ahead, but we also didn't understand, I think, how, how ahead we were. Mm-hmm. It was always like, oh. Yeah, so that's what I was saying. Was it sort of, to you guys, was it like, oh, this is just water? You know, we're, we're in, like, you're not, you're not thinking about it at the time, but like, there weren't a lot of bands doing this, really. Yeah. And, and when I, they were, as you mentioned, it was in like the residence where it's like they partnered up with someone and they did it rather than taking DIY not just do the oh we'll you know we'll make the art we'll make the flyers we'll make the t-shirts like no we'll program the enhanced media yeah and that, that was the big thing with the a and r guy at sire is like because he also signed apex twin to sire and he was like why don't you guys are computer people why isn't your music more electronic why aren't you more like this I, it doesn't make sense you know the more he got into you know electronic music and it was like and now looking back i realized well we didn't see it as you know, a craft work thing. We saw it as, oh, we lived in this indie environment, but you used to have to mail out letters and fanzines, and you used to do all this physical stuff, and you had to call people on the phone. It was like all this stuff. Or yeah, if you had you wanted to put out music, you had to, you know, uh, pressing. You had to call up a pressing plant and have money to do all that. And and for us, it was just seeing how the technology. It was like, oh, this is all going to make all that stuff infinitely easier and infinitely more direct and so our relationship to technology wasn't uh from necessarily a musical standpoint it was that from a community standpoint which was like oh everything we do to communicate to the our fans and how they communicate with us is going to get easier and easier because of this technology and and it was another tool in the toolbox yeah to to achieve that goal we were just in the right place at the right time. We were computer science majors. We lived in a town where the, the web, where Mosaic, you know, which became Netscape was developed. And, and there was a free net where, you know, it was one of the few free nets outside of, you know, some place like the Bay Area, right? That would, that you could, you know, get host access to the internet. Yeah, and host web pages. Yeah, and, and host and like access Usenet from. And gigs to do uh, programming stuff. So the HyperCard gig and then probably doing you know stuff with macromedia director it was also you know there were people who needed that kind of stuff done uh just real quick uh for the record freak show was first not bad day at the midway i was corrected uh. by carlin reed in the chat box that's what, oh yeah freak <laughs> which i don't know why i have them twisted up i, I knew that but uh yeah it, it makes sense that carlin reed would be the one that would uh have the residence correct correction let's just put it that way and i have my copy of it in the basement and i have it and i've been meaning to put it up for sale <laughs> that along with the david bowie uh, enhanced oh yeah, seat. yeah 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 one thing I remember about the all, all the you know like kind of doing research on the enhanced CDs um, that were already out was just what uh, just just trying to make sure that like you you couldn't visit it all in one sitting. I didn't want I didn't want it to be static and yeah. Boring. You wanted it to be an experience that you know, p- people could. I wanted to put so much stuff in it yeah. that it would be worth returning to because it's still at it, as they say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, okay, then uh, you got Junior Citizen. That's the last one for Sire. Uh, then there, there's the pathway to RTFM, which is... Uh, R- well, Sire, yeah, I guess it wasn't on Sire, right? It was on Reprise. It was the same people, though. Yeah. Same same, same folks, but... Uh, yeah, something... So- I'm trying to remember what was going on with Sire at that time. I think they sold it or they moved. So... We stayed on the major label for RTFM, but it was 
it doesn't have the sire name on it. Yeah, we were we could have gone to Reprise or Warner, right, or something like that. It's some superficial and we weirdness. Chose to go to Reprise, yeah, because of how we yeah, climb. Yeah. Cooperation. So. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 hard to it's it's hard to adequately explain this day and age that at one point that kind of stuff mattered. <laughs> you know, there was cultures behind each one and like it was, like, yeah. oh, that's the record label that does this. Well, that was the thing. It was it was the end of the, the Warner Brothers culture. So, um, oh, what's his name? Mo Austin and uh, Lenny Warrenker had left Warner Brothers and so they had basically built that whole reprise Warner mystique of, not mystique, like actual like artists supported. So the reason why Neil Young was always on reprise except for the short time he left and went to Geffen and then got sued for playing, you know, not making Neil Young music, right? Yeah. Is they had built a friendly environment, but that era was ending because you couldn't afford that anymore. And so if you've seen the Wilco documentary, RTFM was around the same time as all that stuff was happening with Wilco. Our record came out and then instead of, you know, fighting it, but it was basically once, once Howie Klein left Reprise and all of our alternative marketing people had moved up into the company because they wanted to move on to higher level jobs. And then they all, I think they all got fired, right? There was no alternative marketing department anymore. And because they didn't want to market alternatively anymore either. And so that was, that was kind of the end of everything. So yeah, watch the Wilco documentary to see how, what the mentality was then. It was just basically like, we can't have any bands, even if a band sells 100,000 records, which sounds like it, well, now it sounds like now it's a lot. Yeah, now <laughs> it's, but at that yeah. time, it was like, that's a joke. We, we, there's no reason to spend money on that, right? Which was what Wilco was, right? It's like, it doesn't matter that Wilco's, you know, considered the best band yeah. of the band of the year. It's Th- like, they're not. It doesn't not, matter no. at all. I mean, and, yeah. and then to look how things had, have changed since then, too, if I remember correctly, it was either Seen Animal or Bright Screen Murder. Uh, Melvin's record ended up on the Billboard charts, and like it is because they had sold something like you know fifteen thousand copies. You know, right. <laughs> just to show how times have changed. Yeah. Uh, okay, so RTFM, which is if I remember correctly, that's the last one that you recorded in a studio, like because New World Record is uh, when Tedium started. Yeah, in correct? the house. Yeah. Yes. Oh, we recorded I, the new a, record. That's a studio. Oh, and we recorded well, the new record. An external studio, I should say. Yeah. It's a <laughs> uh, uh, the last record we rework Grand Bargain we recorded at Steve's studio. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Well, uh, from but this yeah. era, from this, from this era, I'm speaking of because yeah, ideally we started- we'll actually be able to get to talk about Grand Bargain, but we gotta gotta kind of pick up the pace a little yeah. bit here. So RTFM, uh, I don't which, which has the actual, <laughs> which has the actual enhanced CD. Uh, again, you're providing more, more, I really want to use another term, but content for the fans. Uh, yeah, I, content. And again, as, as you know, a young man, like picking it up, I'm like, wow, I can't believe they have like this, like, you know, crazy cartoon video game thing. This is awesome. Like it just, it blew my mind that it could exist. And then it blew my mind even further to find out that, it, okay, this is coming from the people within the band. So around that time, uh, is that when you go to Europe with Steel Pole Bathtub? Uh, somewhere in that neighborhood? Probably. Oh, yeah. Me and Mike, we, we would sit you know, on, on a couch and pro- both be programming. I remember that. You were too, right? Be, I don't think I was. We'd be sitting and programming and then I think... This whole Mark Delanigan standoffish thing makes me realize that I, I spent a huge amount of that tour in my bunk. I just don't yeah, you like... Did. <laughs> 
really don't like. He's so standoffish. It's Rick. not standoffish. It was just overwhelming. Like to be in a, a bus. Fourteen. How many people were on that bus? Were, everybody 14. was on the bus. And it's Again, close quarters when you're in a in a van, band, with the rest of your band. Band. but let alone to have like another band and crew and yeah, Austrians. I too. enjoyed it. That was fun. <laughs> Uh, they were really nice. No, Stupid bathtub oh, was yeah, so nice. Was. Except for that idiot who thought he was Jim Morrison. <laughs> Mike Moraski. Uh, that's funny. Uh, so that was that's a nice experience. That's uh, obviously get to go. Oh yeah, get, wonderful. Get to go to Europe. Yeah, we got. Do you remember how that happened? We played. Well, who did we pl- we play with? Like what? Like Faith No More and Steel Pole Bathtub or something. That was the radio show. show. That Another was the radio show. show. That was the show where we tried to walk to the front of the stage, and and we didn't. And no, the guy no. said, "I'm sure of it." No, 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 no. That that was much later. That was well. We it, it was terrible. We drove. We drove like four thousand hours to play a show, and then we had to get back for somebody's wedding. Right? Did, wasn't somebody Possibly getting married? Andy's wedding. Yeah. yeah, Andy's wedding. We drove all the way to Cincinnati, Ohio, which was very far. Was it Cincinnati? I felt Cleveland? like that was Detroit too. All right, God, well, I don't know. Yeah, see, so you're conflating them. That, so, so, and then we and we played, and it was terrible. Um, but uh, we met Steel Pole Bathtub, and they were very nice. And we came home, and then later on, they called us up, and they said, "Hey, I think they had they were going to tour with some other band, and that that band dropped out." So they said, "Can you come with us to Europe in two weeks?" And and we were like, "Yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> sure. we okay." It was awesome. I I liked it. Oh yeah, I, I love the tour. It's like three or four weeks. I have fond memories of it, but I also remember being in my bunk a lot too. Yeah. Uh, so the RTFM record, any quick experiences with it, the recording and everything? We recorded that uh, in Champaign at uh, Pogo Studios, which was studio, which was yeah, our local studio, yeah, close to us. Yeah, that so nice. that was good. We were back to normal. The basement was an amazing. The basement was filled. I think uh, Mark uh, Rubel is a hoarder, and like it was like a block full of just like just amazing stuff. So we went and recorded. We videotaped in there, and oh, some yeah, of that's yeah. inside the um, RTFM uh, enhanced the, the enhanced enhanced media. Yeah, I tell you, man. So in order to burn an enhanced CD and like send it to the record label, like there were two sets. Because it wouldn't even read in every CD player, right? I oh mean, my right. God. Yeah. There was so many. It was, we used the orange book format, I think. I think I had to do all this research on all that stuff. I yeah. can't believe that. I did all that. But anyway. It was a good side gig, though, for a while, like mm-hmm. making enhanced CDs for indie labels. We right. Did a, we did a lot of that. Thrill Jockey. We made some enhanced CDs for Thrill Jockey. And it was all like those guys would just throw like a couple of videos on it. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't, wouldn't be as. Yeah. Wouldn't be as full poster children as, uh, as the no. and stuff. No. Uh, so then, okay, moving forward to New World Record. This is the first one you do in uh, TDM. And. It's for spin art, right? This, right. Is, this is the this is the end of an end of an epoch, a, a uh, epoch of time. Do you have a uh, yeah? Question? So, so no, sorry, it was, the light went out there. Uh, <laughs> so you know how to make records. You've you've made a bunch of records. At this point, this is your sixth, seventh, maybe record, something along those lines. So is the idea oh. to, to to record to build to build a studio and to have the ability to kind of record wherever you, whenever you want 
uh, again, coming from that idea towards pushing things towards sustainability, like what, what prompts this decision and what was that process? Yeah, so we had bought a house. So it must have been on that sealed hole bathtub tour that we, right before that tour, we bought a house and then left on tour and came home and our house was filled with <laughs> boxes. <laughs> remember that. Do you remember that? No. I remember Maybe. basically buying a house in Champaign and then not being able to move in because we had to go to Europe for six weeks. That was a little frightening as a new homeowner. And then, uh, yeah, then we then I built a studio during Planet of the Apes week in the, the basement of the house. I remember that. I watched, like, I can't remember what channel did Planet of the Apes week, and it was hosted by Roddy McDowell. And so every night he'd show another Planet of the Apes movie, and I'd, I'd be building, um, yeah, the structure for this two-room studio in the basement. It was more about a rehearsal space, but I also to record. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. And, and then I think the first thing we did there was, well, we rehearsed in there a lot. So it was a rehearsal space because we'd moved into a house. And then um, uh, we recorded the Salaryman record there. And it was like that record people liked and kind of figured, well, if we can make a Salaryman record, why can't we do a poster children record? And so it just went, went from there. And I feel like we need a parallel show to get into all the Salaryman stuff. But basically, this is your your uh, Kraftwerk Devo style um, synth related side band, not even side project, but like another band that kind of existed in parallel at the time. Yeah, I remember Ian Mackay saying, "Don't go electronic on me." <laughs> <laughs> it was different though. We played our synth through amps and stuff, so there was yeah. a little. And we had it. a real drummer. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a. Uh, like trans ams, something along those lines for people that need a like a corollary for things. And they very comes from a synthy stuff played in a rock context. Yeah. We were big in Europe. <laughs> uh, all right. So then New World Record begets DDD. Uh, yeah. So the plan was to uh, put out a record every year. I wanted to put out five records in five years to uh counter the two-year cycle like once once we had our studio and an indie label that wanted to put out our records and then and, and that stands for for those that have made records they would probably know this but it used to be there was a code for it i forget what it's called but it would be like oh it's digitally recorded uh digitally mixed digitally mastered ddd right, right, right. which it, at a time when the, you know, used to be oh it's add it's aad you know yeah these different parts of the process would, would be how it would be coded. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, yeah, it was recorded digitally and it was, you know, I don't know. Again, it was the technology thing. It was the empowerment thing. So having, not being able to afford analog sparse recording. Code. It's called sparse code. It's code. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And then, Again. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so the, the affordability of digital recording, and so that was what was going on too, is that we were able to build a studio digitally based. Uh, I just recently listened back to some of that stuff. I definitely feel the need to remix it, but still, um, it, it, it meant that we were able to make records without having to pay for them, <laughs> pay anyone for them. Right. It was, it was basically, how are we going to be able to do all this ourselves? And so that's what it was. And again, yeah, and I once again an eye towards sustainability and being able to maintain, being able to do the thing and and move things forward. Longevity. I wrote that down. Yeah, that was that's that's the word I was looking for. 
All right. So then there's the 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 record of your thing didn't really happen. No, I don't know what happened. How he quit? You get a job. I got a job. How he quit? Did we have a baby? No, we did not have the no. baby yet. Yeah, yeah, and so we we got a new drummer, which was Matt. Yeah, a lot of stuff happened. Yeah, yeah, nine eleven happened. Yeah, so I had a job for a year, and then I didn't again. Yeah, so a lot happened after after DDD. I was teaching Taekwondo. There's, Maybe. There's, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I was doing lots of martial arts at that time. And then that leads to no more songs about sleep and fire. Yeah, a few, few years later. That's um. I think that one's got an enhanced CD-ROM too, right? If I remember correctly, that's a. Uh, it just had a, a commentary track, so we recorded comment, ourselves. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talking about the record all the way through yeah. as we listened to. One of them, had, there were two enhanced CDs, though. One of them, another one of them had. Did, like, yeah, uh, yeah, New World Record had enhanced, had enhanced CD, CD stuff. CD I forgot stuff, about right. that. Yeah, yeah. I think I. Oh, I yeah, have, of course. I don't I, know where I, those CDs are, so I haven't seen them in a long time. I'm sorry. It has a bug in it. There are some. <laughs> those. A bug in it? These, yeah, there is a bug in it. Um, I, I, I try, I was checking it to make sure that a person, what would happen if, if you, something about never winning or something like that. I like had some kind of a, a variable that, um, I could make so that you could never win the game. And I forgot to flip it back like before <laughs> when I, oh, compiled man. It. yeah, I, I, yeah, I need to, I need to get a computer to run that stuff. See, see what, yeah, that. I've popped those in once in a while doesn't run under no, mac it's os just, yeah it's just yeah <laughs> to, to yeah to get the yeah because that was all os9 so yeah. so all this stuff has been collected by the uh uh the uh um the susa archives and the center for american music so um i think you know that that can be accessed through the web probably right they've they collected everything we have so we have yeah but boxes. you can't directly it's not digitized well, it could be though. We should ask them to digitize it at some point. Any questions yeah. about the What's last the five records we did? Right. Yeah, well, <laughs> plenty, but we're almost Sorry, completely I, out of time. So yeah, uh, I, I, derailed. Sorry. Yeah, that's no, it's fine. So uh, no more songs about sleep and fire. Then there's there's a pretty big gap. There's a lot of life that happens. Uh, there's kids. There's rival Dickens thought detecting machines. There there's. All the whole world that happens, but I guess my greater point with this is the world of playing music and uh, being poster children sort of changes for a, a pretty large amount of time. And coming at it from the perspective of having done all these other things, being a band for a living, you've been in the <laughs> the indie gold rush, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, w- the lessons that you learn from being a band and and doing all this stuff and applying it to music, and then continuing to make music, and quite frankly, a pretty awesome raucous record, which is, I think, Grand Bargain is uh, uh, relatively underrated in, in the Pantheon. What's the, what's the overall takeaway for creativity uh, in the year 2020? <laughs> that sounds like a hard question. You can think about it. I mean, that's the problem. I mean, the Poster Children is a live band. I mean, I've come to terms with that. I've never been completely happy with our recorded output. I, you know, Daisy Chain Reaction is pretty good. <laughs> I'm not the person to ask. Uh, uh, um, 
I, yeah, it's hard to think about the band uh, without a live component. And to me, the records, I, I like making records. I don't know if the rest of the band really likes it that much. <laughs> okay, so I mean, you know, you're you're continuing your musical career uh, as thoughts detecting machine, but we also have this. I mean, I, I feel like there, there's one of the big things for me in Poster Children was to, like the like the dissemination of energy. I don't know a better way to put it. No. Like like how like like to empower people or to to get people to think. To get people to to get people to feel like they can do stuff, you know, or you come, come on, if we can do this, if we can create, you can create too, um, and to teach people and to sort of connect people, and so with so so with your lyrics, you know, you're kind of teaching, you're pontificating to people and stuff like that, and so now we're teachers, we you know, I'm happy that we're professors, and we're able to teach people all the time, um, and we're teaching, I'm teaching music business, Rick come. Rick teaches music business sometimes for me also. We're teaching computer programming. We're teaching uh, uh, communication with digital technology, right? But also, um, we, we have our podcasts, and so we're still we're still able to create. I feel like the podcast, with the podcast, it's kind of the same energy that we had and the same thing going on that we had in the van. You know, the, what's missing is we're not reading as many books, I think, and having as many different um, uh, wild experiences that, as we used to before we had kids and before we were trapped in this house, <laughs> the quarantine maybe. But um, but maybe I'm just, maybe I've forgotten that and it was kind of dumb back then too, you know, but... But I feel like that's that's where our creativity is right now. I mean, that's that's another thread, at least of of our creativity. Yeah. yeah, I think I'm a little different than you. You know, I I I like the creative part of it, or actually creating music. Yeah. So I mean, there was there was some downtime in there. What like. I don't know, 2007. Yeah, 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 yeah. And but I don't for, feel too bad about skipping that because I ha since I've had both of you on the show, we've gotten a little bit into some of that. I would like to explore that more in the future, but yeah, sorry, but I tried, short shrift to recent yeah, memories. Yeah, no, no, but I, I, I tried to stop doing this kind of stuff and writing songs and playing music and recording music, and it didn't work. So <laughs> it's so it's something I again. do, yeah. And so so for me, it's it's... Almost, it's not resignation. It's just kind of an acceptance that it's a, it's a, it's part of my life and it's something I do. And it's it's never it, it never started out as as something that was going to be a career or defining part of my life. Um, and so, but it is not a career. But well, I guess it was or is kind of. But it's it's a defining part of my life and it's something I do to make myself and and again you know this it, 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 yeah it doesn't necessarily make me happy all the time it does it, no, it never makes a lot of i don't know what what part of it makes you happy well see okay so like you yeah. whereas you love the creative part of it i love the the performative yeah. part of it and so i'm continuing i think that's what capoeira is to me or martial arts you know taekwondo and stuff like that but especially capoeira is performance um, fighting with music, and so I think that's why I keep practicing that. And like you, it doesn't give me a lot of pleasure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it's a it's a struggle 
all the time. It's it's horrible. But to me, that's reality. I mean, I mean, there is a lot of messaging in the world, and I see this in our students sometimes. It's like if it's not fun, if it's not your, if it's not giving you joy, right at this moment, or. or it, yeah, it it's not good, and and it's like no, even the things that you know, it's like oh, I got to play music, and I got to play music for a living. But did that mean that I was the happiest person on earth? No, I I was pretty happy, but it was like there was lots of it's it's still it's a pain in the ass. Also, you know, it's like there's nothing that's a hundred percent fulfilling, right? Life is suffering. Yeah, so I don't know. <laughs> But suffering, like, you know, like resistance, not suffering. Like the good kind of suffering. Endurance. Mm-hmm. Rick, Rose, thanks so much for uh, spending so much time with me and uh, going through stuff. And uh, technically speaking, we did get through it all. So I, I, I appreciate you. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. pretty impressive. Thanks, thanks so much. And, uh, yeah, just keep, keep on keeping on. And uh, can't wait for the next oh. Radio Zero. Yes, and always vote. (laughs) And thanks for your constant support. My goodness, yes. Thank you, Conan. Yeah. All right.
show is uh, Come Neutron's Protonic Reversal, and thank you for listening to it. The show airs on Radio Nope. RadioNope.com. Say yes to Nope. RadioNeutron.com for the archives. Uh, 
Traversal slash no patreon.com slash Proton Traversal is the Patreon. Dollar a month gets you the episodes quicker if you enjoy the show but want to hear the episode sooner. The whole Mr. and Mrs. America. Oh, YouTube slash Protonic Reversal. There's a YouTube channel. Anyone so some of the episodes are up there, especially the ones with video. Maybe that's how you're consuming this one now. Consume Protonic Reversal. Well, get it. I've got 60,000 watts of power. Yeah, uh, thank you everyone for all the nice words for all the episodes. Posterchildren.com. Probably the best place to go for Rick and Rose. Turns sound into electricity. Stay safe. Can you hear me now? And take it easy. Out on Route 128 in the dark and lonely. I got my radio on. Can you hear me now?